Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, and you are listening to the July 2020 episode in our Voices interview series. If you're new around here, we don't do interviews as part of our regular Tuesday shows, but we do bring you one conversation each month with someone who can bring an expertise or an experience that Megan and I don't personally have in our own lives as moms. My guest today has actually been on the show before. She joined me last fall, which um, feels like a really long time ago right now, to talk about kids and anxiety and to kind of help us remove some of the stigma and maybe some of the awkward feelings about seeing a counselor or a therapist with your kids. Dr. Erin Lamphier is a child psychologist in private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. She is also a professor there at ASU, and she is mom to a teenager. So I reached out to Erin back in May because I was feeling like we were getting a lot of questions in our Facebook group from moms whose kids were struggling with behavioral stuff during the pandemic. Things like regression, anxiety, clinginess, tantrums, bedtime issues. And I really wanted to hear from a clinical standpoint how all of this is affecting our kids. So you are hearing this in July, but the conversation was actually recorded at the very end of May. And when I re-listened to it myself recently, I was kind of surprised at actually it's possibly even more relevant right now as states are in different phases of reopening. Some, like mine, are actually going backwards at the time of this recording. And everyone is looking ahead to the start of school in the fall. What you'll hear Dr. Aaron talk about are the behavioral things that parents are seeing at home right now and have been seeing for the past several months, and also how we can support our kids toward an eventual re-emergence in the world whenever that does come. So let's dive right into my conversation with Dr. Aaron Lamphier. Well, Dr. Aaron, thank you so much for being here and welcome back to the Mom Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to rejoin you and your listeners. Yeah, and wow, the world has changed a whole bunch since we last talked about kids and anxiety. Um, so I have a bunch of questions for you today. We're going to jump right in. And these are all things that we're hearing from our our listeners as we move through this pandemic and even as the world starts mm-hmm. to, you know, open back up a little bit and get back sure. to life. So I'll just jump right in. But I would love for you to start with your clinical hat on 
Um, from mm-hmm. a child psychology point of view, I just would love for you to describe what happens to our kids and their little brains and their little systems when their world is completely rocked in this way. Um, and of course, we know that all children, some have much more dire circumstances than others, yeah. but um, all children have seen deep fundamental systemic changes in their lives um, the last couple of months. So what, what happens to a child when that happens? So I think the easiest way to say it is that children, regardless of their age, are fundamentally experiencing the same emotions, changes, both physiological, psychological, cognitive, emotional, behavioral, that we as adults are feeling. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to anchor, gosh, how is my child feeling? Sort of tap into how you're feeling. Are you feeling um, depressed or nervous or fatigued? Do you feel like your sort of biorhythms are off? You're having a difficult time sleeping. All of these things, um, even denial or disbelief or frustration, are what our children are experiencing. So I think it's easier for parents to connect by tapping into their own feelings in response to the coronavirus, um, the uncertainty that Mm -hmm. they have been experiencing, and then the social distancing and quarantine and how they've responded. It's exactly how your children are responding. So that's so interesting. And then would you say that kids and particularly little kids just don't have the same tools for coping that we do. And of course, not all of us have great <laughs> coping skills either, but we've just lived a little right. longer. So so we're going to see those things manifest differently in our kids. So when you look at your youngest children, particularly if you're a parent of preschoolers, they're fundamentally not experiencing a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, a great number of preschoolers maybe are going to school a few hours a day or a few days a week, but their world sort of scope is very much narrow. It's really home-based. And so for them, they're not experiencing the loss that your elementary, middle, high school, and college students are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So they, they are having a different experience than older kids would. But in general, if you're looking at the broad spectrum of emotions and responses that your elementary through emergent adult children are experiencing. It's very much similar to the adult experience. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then they, they just might show those feelings differently than we do, or we might not even, you know, recognize at first that that's what's going on. Absolutely. Something that's coming up a lot in our Facebook group um, is parents sharing that kids are experiencing regression um, I'm hoping that you can define that for us, um, how you define regression. And I think the way I've picked up on it is going back to behaviors that maybe a child had grown out of. Um, mm-hmm. But can you talk a little bit about what regression is, why it happens, and maybe even give some examples um, at different age levels of what that would look like? Sure. So developmental regression is exactly what what you said. It is returning to a prior period of development. And we see this happen to children even during times that aren't related to a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So when their world becomes a little bit, feels a little bit outside of their control, they revert back to an earlier period and sort of unconsciously in doing so, 
they bring and uh, a response from the caregiver that is a little bit more nurturing, a little bit more caring. So basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, I need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need some support. I need some help. I need you to be a little bit more hands-on. And that's exactly the kind of response that we would have given them had they literally actually been <laughs> at that earlier period sure. of time in development. Right. So the example that I always give is maybe you have a toddler or a preschooler, and then you welcome a new baby into the family. And then all of a sudden, the things that your toddler and preschooler was doing very independently, maybe even their toileting behaviors, they're now having wedding accidents. Mm-hmm. And so that is a very typical experience of developmental regression. What we're seeing right now is that... Um, Regression is occurring because of the social distancing in part. Mm. So it's twofold. Um, Part one is that children are anxious. Maybe they're experiencing some low mood or some some depression, and they're having a bit of a developmental regression. That would be the sort of typical trajectory. Mm -hmm. The other trajectory is that they are not able right now to developmentally engage yeah. in the activities that promote development. Mm-hmm. They're not separating from parents to go to school. They're not going out to sleepovers with friends. All of those things that promote and propel development along, mm-hmm. they're not able to do. So we're seeing regression back to earlier phases of um, periods of time yeah. across elementary, middle, high school, and even our college students coming home. Yeah. Can we talk, can we dig in a little bit of what regression might look like um, as kids get a little bit older? I'm thinking things like, you know, maybe a six-year-old not wanting to fall asleep alone at night anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard parents talk about clinginess, (laughs) even older children just following them into the next room. Um, I'm sure some of this is, like you said, it's some of it might be boredom or some kind of low-level mood stuff going on, what might we Mm -hmm. see in even middle and high school students that would look like regression? Yes. So what you're going to see um, might be in your younger children, the return of temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. So if you felt like you had weathered that storm and you had passed it, you're going to see that they're they're having these sort of behavioral um, manifestations of their frustration yeah. or their distress. The temper tantrums might be returning. Some children might be quick to cry. Yes. So their frustration tolerance is really low. Um, things that they could have managed before, they're not able to manage, so they're crying uh, quite easily. Obviously, clinging is another one. Um, that difficulty separating. So had they they'd practiced that skill of separating by going to yeah. school, and so now even if the parent is going to another room in the house, that separation feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so you might see that in your younger children. In your older children, you might see a little bit more irritability. Mm -hmm. So you'd maybe gotten through some of that phase um, and they're going back to being irritable. That one's hard to tease out with regression because right now being cooped up, people are just kind of naturally irritable. (laughs) So that one's a little bit challenging. But just in terms of kind of self-care, the things that they might have done independently, getting their own snacks and things of that sort, having parent or caregiver around and so readily available. Children aren't, your older children, your middle schoolers maybe, aren't being as independent Mm -hmm. in making a meal for themselves or their own lunch or getting a snack, things that we we thought that we'd mastered. Yeah. And 
And there is just a lot of need, even in the emergent adults, maybe your college students returning home, of that closeness, the yeah. physical connection to parents and sitting close for movies or cuddling or even being on the lap or needing to have extra support, not so much your emergent adults to fall asleep, but your late elementary yeah. and middle schoolers are struggling with their their um sort of sleep hygiene, as we call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is so interesting. I can almost picture kind of like the subconscious of the middle schooler being like, well, if I don't get the fun independence, like going out and seeing my friends and going to sleepovers and getting away from mom and dad, why would I bother with <laughs> with like the boring independence, like making my own meals? It's kind of like they, exactly. I have a, tw- a new new 12 year old and it's like that's supposed to be the fun part about being 12 is separating. And so why would I hold up the boring end of the bargain. And I don't think that's happening on a conscious level, at least with my 12 year old, but I, I could sort of see how you can't have one without the other, the freedom, right. you know, that's so interesting. Well, okay. On the, mm-hmm. on this topic of regression, something that I've personally wondered is, you know, I have a lot of empathy for these kids right now. And I've found myself, you know, assuring moms that to some degree, this is normal right now. And we can, you know, just, just, be patient and understand that this is normal at the same time um, for their own mental health and self-care moms need to continue to draw boundaries. They can't be rocking a six-year-old to sleep every single night forever. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious if you can help us parse out to what degree is the regression acceptable and normal and something to, that we all can understand that's happening right now. And at what point does it become something we want to try to address or correct or set up you know, set up systems in our home so that we, so that we can function and, and so that our own mental health doesn't take a toll. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I would advocate that we want to do everything that we can to kind of stop regression in its tracks. Okay. <laughs> and so we want to be nurturing and warm and understanding and acknowledge our children's feelings mm-hmm. so we can acknowledge kind of the underlying sentiment that we think is the cause of the regression and that we can target but the regression itself is something that you want to put some systems in place in your household so that it doesn't kind of take root and the reason for that is eventually we will come out of this Mm -hmm. eventually we will return to school and we will return to sports and separation and sleepovers and you want your child prepared to step right back into that yeah So if we allow too much regression to occur, it's going to be a really sort of rocky, disjointed transition Mm -hmm. at the point when we get to reemerge. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would encourage is um, if your child, for example, is wanting, is relying on you, let's go back to the the snack and lunch uh, scenario, have them cook with you. Mm -hmm. So instead of giving in and you cook and make all of their snacks, build their skills so that they're learning to cook. Um, things that maybe are a little bit more elaborate and Mm -hmm. you're using that time. So you're giving your physical connection. Yeah. You're leaning in on the connection, right? But you're also fostering the skill. So every time you think that you might observe some regression, whether it's crying or clinging, um, if they're having a difficult time, as you wander from room to room in the house, you might say, I'm going to go do this and I need you to do that. And then we're going to meet in the kitchen and you'll have the paper towels and I'll have the this, and then we'll be back together. So you're fostering the independence 
you are putting a little bit of a wedge in that, that pathway toward regression and supporting skill development so that when they jump back into the world, right, they may be stopped at six and a half. And when they go back, they're going to be seven. And we don't want to have lost that time. Yeah, I, I really appreciate hearing that um, because another thing that I think that happens is moms really start to lose their own sense of self and boundaries mm-hmm. um, when we're feeling like we are out nurture, <laughs> nurturing ourselves, yeah. you know, to a point of depletion. It um, yeah. it's often reminded Megan and me of the newborn days. You know, you don't a whole day goes by and you don't know what you even accomplished that day because somebody needed you at every turn. So I like that we can be supporting our kids development um, in a healthy but also empathetic way and ideally kind of preserving some of that sense of self for ourselves because we know we know we are going to need that for the long haul as well. So I love that. Very much so. Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the high vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Well, another thing that keeps coming up is bedtime. Why does it all happen at bedtime? Is there like, is there a psychology reason for this? I feel like everyone from babies all the way on up. Um, I'm hearing that bedtimes are harder. They're more drawn out. There's more emotions. Um, is there anything you have to offer? <laughs> Bedtimes are hard, even when it is not a pandemic. Yeah. So for your older children, what has happened, and this is why I always tell parents, 
find a little pocket of reserved energy between 9.30 and 10.30 because <laughs> that is when your child is going to want to talk to you. Yeah. And if you shut them down, you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. And so as, as much as we have to rely on that sort of reserve tank of patience and energy, um, even in normal times, yeah. you, you, you have to. So what's happened is they've gone through their school day, they've come home, they've decompressed, they've done their homework, they've done their extracurricular they've had dinner and now their brain is processing the day. Mm -hmm. Now all of those little things that they just sort of weathered are filtering to the surface in terms of cognitions and they're they're needing support and processing it so that they can enter a state of relaxation and sleep. Mm. So (laughs) um, uh, that is is a normative period of time. Now one of the reasons that bedtime is even more complicated now is that our biorhythms are dysregulated. So if you think about the fact that I've heard a lot of parents talk about their own sort of weight gain during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. they're home, they're doing things. Um, In part, it's because the normal activity that we expend getting in and out of the car at recess, walking between classes at school, all of those things, even if as a family, you're committed to going out for a walk or exercising during the day, the amount of energy that you're burning is not the same. Yeah. So children just aren't as physically tired and they're not as mentally, they're tired mentally, but it's not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> they're more just, they're more fatigued, but it's restless fatigue as opposed to. It's almost like there hasn't been enough variety or novelty or something um, yeah. in the day to like give their brains enough to process. I can so see yeah. how that would be. Yeah. So there, and we're probably also not adhering to turning our technology off and right. turning screens off an hour to an hour and a half before bed, those sorts of things. The other thing is it's getting lighter longer. And mm-hmm. so children are not having that sort of physiological shift that happens um, with darkness when it sets in yeah. in the wintertime. So all of these things are converging right now to make sleep really, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Is there hope for us? I mean, I like that you talked about reserving some energy because I am terrible at that. I I sort of like go into a resentment spiral when I am needed Mm -hmm. after about 830. It's like I'm conditioned from the younger days to think like, no, I'm done. I am hanging up my parenting hat. But my like you said, my children, first of all, are older. And then all of the other things that you just talked about, that is perhaps an unfair assumption. But then if I'm, if I'm giving myself parenting advice right now, I need to then conserve energy somehow elsewhere in the day because otherwise I am, I'm done. And that's hard. It is hard. The other thing that does work uh, sometimes is to shift their quiet moments. So if you have that one child who you know always needs you at nine o'clock at night, just to talk and process, Mm -hmm. you might try taking them on a walk with the dog around six or seven 30, just the two of you and see if you can do some of that processing a little bit earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. I like that. That can some, that can sometimes help, um, again, separating them, getting one to help you cook or clean. There was something really special about washing dishes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, many, many decades ago, and maybe there weren't dishwashers where where you stood side by side at the sink yeah. and you had those quiet moments of engagement 
with an activity that was a little bit distracting, which kids sometimes do need Mm -hmm. in order to allow their thoughts to flow and have that conversation. So what I would encourage is seeking out the the one child that you kind of know needs you and see if you can shift their talk time a little bit earlier. Yeah, I like that. And I think if we pair that with what we talked about earlier with um, addressing some of the regressive behaviors sooner, um, mm-hmm. then I think that could help as well, because I'm sure I am not the only parent who's been sort of allowing or, or just, you know, being a little permissive on the bedtime stuff because we feel for our kids. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, let's talk about kids and disappointment. And in particular, mm-hmm. you made a good point that the preschoolers, um, what they understand of all this is pretty simple and minimal and younger than preschooler, um, not at all. But for elementary on up, and my kids are seven, turning 10 and newly 12, um, Mm -hmm. I have had a lot of conversations where I have had to explain different kinds of cancellations, postponements, uncertainties, possible postponements. Um, Felt like there was a rash of all that in March. And then it's kind of come up again as our school year ends and we look to summer. Um, and here in California, you know, things have not changed all that much yet at the time of, of this recording. So coach me through talking with older kids about cancellations and letting, you know, allowing their feelings of disappointment when we can't, we can't promise a reschedule. We can't promise that things are going to be better in August or in whatever month, fill in the blank. Um, maybe just talk through what, how they experience that and how we can support them. So the disappointment, it's a great question. And again, think about it from your own adult perspective. Adults are experiencing the same disappointments, the same uncertainty, the what if the children are experiencing. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. that you as parents are feeling the same way. And then try to tap into what the actual disappointment or feeling of loss is. So for example, if it's summer camp, is it that you always enjoyed the activity that happened at summer camp? Is it that you enjoyed the friends that were at summer camp? Is it that you enjoyed the freedom that you got from being away at sleepaway camp for a week or two weeks? So what is that, that sort of central thing that is really the nugget of disappointment that the child is feeling? Is it that we always go to grandma's and we were not able to see grandma and I really miss that special thing we did together? So sometimes if you can distill it down, then you can talk about a workaround or a solution that might satisfy, not in the same way, but satisfy the need so that the that the sense of loss isn't quite as large as it was feeling when it was first presented to them that they couldn't do activity A, B, or C. Okay, I like that idea of trying to get to the heart of the disappointment. I know with my kids... One in particular is not ready to hear my ideas for <laughs> substitutions or modifications or, hey, but we we still have this to look forward to. Is that um, kind of a like a normal thing kid to kid where, you know, some kids maybe just need to experience really anger for a little bit before they're ready mm-hmm. to hear that? Very much so. So if you think about it, they are going through sort of an experience of grief, if you will. So there's denial and then the anger and then maybe, maybe bargaining. We seem to be, you know, can I, but can I go, but can't I just do this in some ways? 
Um, and then depression, sadness, that yeah. feeling of loss very significantly before kids can move to acceptance. Yeah. And so letting them take that pathway at their own pace is important. At the same time, giving them the coping strategies of the two models, and, and your listeners are probably familiar with this, and that is the, the spheres of control. So what is in my control mm. and what is outside of my control? Well, if my summer camp was canceled or my, you know, my summer job was canceled or my summer internship was canceled, that is outside of my control. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't fix that. But what are the things that I can fix? And giving them that sense of self-efficacy, because part of the difficulty is all of this seems to be happening to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so um figuring out where children, no matter what age they are, can sort of regain some control is really important and will help with that process of acceptance. Well, I would imagine that the older teenagers and even young adults experience this at an even higher level because they were used to having more control than our our younger kids. Um, And I was also thinking about the teenagers because my kids are experiencing definitely some cancellations and loss, but I, not no graduations in my family, no proms, no major, um, major, like really life milestone events. What are you seeing with the older teenagers and the young adults as they experience this? Or how does your advice shift maybe? So it shifts in terms of acknowledgement. And I think with our older teens, our, our young adults that were now sort of parenting back in the home, The thing to focus on is that no one is, and if you could see me, I'm doing air quotes. No one is where they are supposed to be right now. You are supposed to be out in the world. You are supposed to be uh, at your first job or spending a lot of time out with your friends. You are supposed to be at college. You're supposed to be at internship or maybe even on that summer study abroad that you had scheduled. So none of us are where we're supposed to be. And I think acknowledging that is really important along with the fact that they have lost a lot of privacy. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness for social media, because they're still able to connect with their friends, but they're not connecting outside of the home in the same way that offers them opportunities for growth and development and to kind of figure themselves out in terms of self-identity, all of these things that they are, again, quote, supposed to be doing. So working with them on ways to be at home, but still have some independence to develop some self-control, some uh, the opportunities for self-reliance and to structure themselves. So really stepping back. So maybe if your uh, college student is taking a summer online class or even your high school student, letting them structure it when yeah. they study, how they study, and giving them that independence that way is incredibly important. Yeah. And also, I imagine so hard if we have them under our roof, it feels like we should have them under our control, right? You know, and so yes. it's almost like we're regressing at the same time to expectations around our role, um, I would imagine. Very much so. Yeah. And and parents are having to take on more hats. Now, as the school year winds up across the country, people will be able to take off the hat of homeschool teacher yeah. if they hadn't wanted to put that one on. Yeah. So, but, but you have, you've taken on the, the hat of being somebody's friend. So it's yeah. the only friend that they can have. Yeah. Um, I have felt that in, in my household, my son is an only child. He's a singleton. Yeah. And so 
I've been having to do some play sorts of things with him and engage with him a little bit to fill that gap. But parents are teacher, they're friend, they're coach, they're taking on so many things and figuring out how you can appropriately give some of those back Mm. uh, to your older teens is really essential for them to weather this storm. I think that's so important. I'm just going to remember what you said, that no one is where they are, air quotes, supposed to be right now. I think that's that's like such a foundational statement that allows us to empathize with everybody, ourselves, our kids, um, and just the developmental piece here that is missing for a period of time. Exactly. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, here's an observation I have, and I'm just curious as to your thoughts. I feel like the narratives that parents and moms in particular are getting right now is a little bit contradictory and confusing. Um, I think there's a lot out there that's encouraging parents to be gentle on themselves to, you know, like it's okay if the kids are on the video games a little bit more and we're in this for the long haul. Like don't hold yourself to ridiculously high standards. This isn't a competition. And quite honestly, I agree with a lot of that narrative because I I'm in a position of encouraging moms that they don't have to be perfect and that the kids will be okay. On the other Mm -hmm. hand, we know from experts like you and other really important you know, people in child development that kids thrive with structure. They need, like, like you talked about, they need exercise. They need, you know, good bedtimes, good sleep hygiene. And so what I feel like we end up in is this cycle where we're trying to go easy on ourselves and not be perfect and not expect perfection of our kids or ourselves. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, the very things we're letting go of might be the things that our kids need most or that would help us feel more grounded. Does that make sense? Are you, are you also hearing those conflicting narratives? Very much so. And what I would encourage parents, moms to think about is how to kind of put those two things together. And every family is going to do this differently. So families may say during the work week, school week, because maybe parents are having online meetings or there needs to be structure to the household um, in order for work to be accomplished, we have a schedule. Mm -hmm. And on the weekends, we're freeform. Mm -hmm. You can wake up when you want. you You can watch as many video games or Netflix shows as you want. That works for some families. Other families need a little bit more structure where they say, we're structured from eight to two mm-hmm. and then from two until dinner, have at it. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that you want to do, that's absolutely fine. 
So I think creating a balance whereby you're giving the boundaries, the structure that will help sort of reset those biorhythms as I was talking Mm -hmm. about for children, decrease anxiety, uh, increase their mood, decrease irritability, promote positive sleep hygiene and, and sleep schedules. All of those are going to respond to structure. And if you think about it, when you get your children less anxious and sleeping better, it's actually better for you. Right. And so you don't have to let go as much. Right. So the boundaries are actually serving both the parent yeah. and the child. Well, and another interesting thing I've noticed. So I'll just tell a little story here. Years and years ago, when I had two tiny kids and was pregnant with a third, my husband went from traveling very, very rarely for work, like once a quarter to traveling three to four days a week mm-hmm. for work. And I one, one thing I noticed about myself is I had trained myself that if my husband was traveling for work, we kind of let go. We, we like I ate mac and cheese with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. We might stay in our PJs all day because, our you know, he was gone. And it's not that it wasn't because he expected those things, but it was just like a little break from normal. And we yeah. ate differently and we watched a movie together. And then so when he first started to travel a lot, I thought, well, this is what we do when daddy's gone. We all have mac and cheese together and we all or we order in and we go through the drive through and all these little mm-hmm. treats that had been part of the treats. Well, that was not sustainable within this new system where he was actually gone two thirds of the week. It didn't feel it when it was once in a while, it felt like a treat and a break and something for me to look forward to when it was three or four days a week. It felt kind of gross and unhealthy for myself, for my young kids at the time. So I, I compare that to this because we didn't know how long we were going to be in this when it all started. So, you know, I really actually appreciated the the advice that was out there that, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to kind of let go of your, 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 you know, type A personality for a little bit and let the house go or let the kids watch as much shows as they want. But we didn't know mm-hmm. we were going to be in this for a period of months at the beginning of all right. this. So I think it's right. okay. I mean, I'm, I'm giving this advice to myself that um, if we'd known it was going to be six months or longer, we might've thought differently about the amount of structure needed because just like me and the, and the drive-through treat, it totally makes sense when it's once a quarter, it doesn't make sense when it's three or four days a week. And we're, we're kind of learning that as we go here, like, okay, well now if we're looking at another eight weeks or another 12 weeks, what kind mm-hmm. of structure do I need for, for the health of my family? I think that's absolutely right. And one thing that I would add in is that the longer we go, the more we're going to have to figure out safe ways for there to be um, engagement with people outside of the walls that, that yeah. are your house. Yeah. So whether it's gathering uh, with people in the driveway or um, I know one one mom uh, just put blankets out in her backyard and she had pre-spaced them. Yeah. And her kids watched a movie outside and um, invited a few friends over. And that was controlled and comfortable. But that little spark of uh, personal connection, not through Zoom or through some sort of digital media, but yeah. actually seeing something and sort of um, preparing yourself to see someone, right? Where yeah. you're actually taking a shower and <laughs> doing doing all of those things does give a boost. Yes. And so looking at the long haul of providing some structure, um, think a little bit, it might just be useful. Once you've had a summer of kind of freeform schedules, 
And then you realize that school starts in a week and yeah. your children are going to bed at 1130 and yeah. you're trying really, really to get them back on a, a good schedule. Um, imagine that compounded yeah. by the amount of time that we've been at home. Yeah. So if there is any belief that schools are going to open up and that we might get back to a little bit of a normalcy, you're going to want to have some structure yeah. in place and not go completely freeform. Yeah. I agree. And I've noticed that there's in any season of my parenting, like eight to 10 weeks is like kind of a period of time where after that, whatever our schedule has been, we're all ready for a reset. And that's about as Mm -hmm. of this recording, that's about what what, the time that we've been doing what we've been doing. And I did set up some some structure and it definitely it feels like time for a reset. So I, I like that idea because it doesn't have to be all letting go or all, you know, clamping down, um, you can be looking for the balance. So I like that. Um, so last time you came on the show, we spent a lot of time talking about kids who worry and, and little kids with anxiety. And I'll, I'll point listeners to go back to listen to that conversation if they haven't already, because there's great advice, particularly for parents of young children who are experiencing anxiety. Um, I, is, is there anything we can add to that as we experience this sort of global trauma right now, things to look for for kids who might need some help from a counselor or a therapist. So number one, Mm -hmm. things to look for, just maybe help us review that. But number two, what's that looking like as many states are still uh, doing telehealth? Is that something that um, you've seen be available um, in a a remote way? Um, Or are therapists starting to see kids one-on-one to your knowledge? So I'll just turn it over to you. Absolutely. Well, kind of, uh, let me start with the last part of your question first. So uh, for myself, I actually closed my practice to in-person visits on March 12th. Yep. And I will uh, begin seeing just a few families for in-office visits in about two weeks. Okay. So providers have done it absolutely differently. Some have, have shut down and moved only to telemedicine like I have. Others have still had families come in the office. So it's a little bit variable. Um, I have used telemedicine sessions, Zoom sessions with children as young as eight, okay. effectively. That's, a, um, that's helpful to hear because that was one of my questions is how, how does that work the younger they get? Yeah. Sure. So some of the things to consider is um, if your child has used Zoom or some sessions online with their school or their teacher, they're a little bit familiar with the format. Mm-hmm. And so it's helpful. Again, it's not the same as being in the office, but it is a useful for me stopgap right now. Yeah. Um, with my older teens, their concern a little bit is about their privacy and their yeah. confidentiality. And so I've had some of my teens literally lean into the computer screen and start whispering Aww. because they want to make sure that they're able to engage and say the things that that they need to communicate and to process with me, but they're not entirely certain that it's confidential in the same way it is when they come into the office. So I would recommend to parents, if you're going to use telemedicine, really ensure and then keep your word in terms of giving your child that distance with their mental health provider. It's important. That breaks my Um, heart a little bit, just thinking about them not even having the privacy to, you know, talk to their counselor or therapist. Um, yeah. yeah. So we want to, we want to preserve that. Um, so in terms of anxiety, it's going to look drastically different. And I'll give you the, the far end of the spectrum. And that is 
a lot of my families with little ones who have had anxiety about separation or social anxiety feel really great right now. Right. <laughs> They're experiencing zero symptoms. And so while they emotionally feel great, we know that when we transition yeah. back, that's going to rebound. Um, so you might see, so I say this because some parents who may have seen anxiety sort of beginning in the wintertime or the early spring, they might've seen it drop off yeah. during social distancing and quarantine. In other kids, you're going to see very minimal things, maybe nail biting or fidgeting, um, and our older kids' anxiety and depression often presents as irritability mm -hmm. in our adolescents. So mm -hmm. be careful. Teenagers yeah. can be moody just in general, but irritability is a symptom of underlying anxiety or depression. Yeah. They might, you might also see, again, the regression, um, maybe some restlessness, again, that difficulty falling asleep mm -hmm. or uh, staying asleep. And then as they, they sort of figure it out and you're preschoolers, like I said, you might see increasing tantrums or meltdowns. Some children may show a little bit more physical aggression okay. as a way of managing their anxiety. Some are going to socially withdraw yeah. and not talk. So you're going to have to look at their, again, their eating and sleeping, all of the sort of biological manifestations of anxiety. Yeah. Um, would you say that engaging a mental health professional for the first time, if you hadn't already had a relationship, is that going to be, we talked uh, when you were on the show last time, we talked about some of just the mm -hmm. mental hurdles as a parent, like who do I call? How do I get it approved by health insurance? You know, all these little logistical things that seems like those would be even exacerbated, but I would assume that now's not the time to put it off. If you feel like your child is in need of support, it, it would seem like that would not be a good strategy. Right. So what I've done with families that have contacted me is do the initial session with the parents mm -hmm. via telemedicine and um, kind of assess from the caregivers how much of a departure are they seeing in their child from prior levels of functioning before yeah. social distancing and determine whether or not we need to move forward. Now, sometimes it's incredibly clear that a child is decompensating or that a prior conditioning is becoming exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And then we do begin the telemedicine sessions, or if the family's more comfortable, refer to a provider that is doing in-office sessions. Okay. So you're almost I, making, yeah, it's more of a consultation to see, is this something that needs to be addressed right now or something to monitor? And is that typically covered by insurance? Is it all over? I mean, the, that kind of like an initial consultation, can it be? So, Right. So um, a lot of people are billing, if you will, exactly mm -hmm. as though it were an, um, an in-office visit. There's, there's some differences, but what I would encourage everyone to do is to touch base with the provider that they've chosen and also touch base with their insurance coverage and find out what their um, plan covers for telemedicine sessions if okay. that's what's indicated. Okay. Um, I like that. And I, again, want to tell our listeners that if they haven't listened to the the last time you were on the show, we we talked a lot about finding someone and um, developing a relationship and all of that. So I will link that up um, so people can go listen, listen to that as well. Um, and I would just add that for your listeners who are still in school um, and haven't finished, we're finished here in Arizona. But if you're still in school, reach out to your school counselor. Okay. They are a great resource. Um, and many school counselors, school psychologists have been working around the clock right now to make sure that the families within their school community are supported 
and are connected to resources. So I think that might be a source of um, comfort yeah. as you begin the process of reaching out for mental health care. Well, and that that would that's a great tip. And also, I would think that even having that connection would be a great bridge for when we do come back to school. You know, that person knowing your family or knowing you know what your family's gone through could be a good thing as kids transition back as well. That's a great exactly great idea. I've also seen pediatrician offices and even county health departments putting out, um, you know, mental health resources for families and kids. So um, I think that's great. I think that's great. Absolutely. Your pediatrician is always a go-to resource. And they generally, as I mentioned in the prior show, do have referral lists. Mm -hmm. So a lot of of times your your pediatrician is a source of trust and comfort in your child's overall care and well-being. And so their list of providers that they've worked with would be another good place to start. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, Dr. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on again and just talking us through a lot of these questions that parents have. We so appreciate it and um, wishing you all the best there as it heats up in Arizona. I'm hoping you can start to uh, get back to your work as soon as possible. Thank you so much and um, stay safe and healthy and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today, everyone. And just as a reminder, we do have a really active Facebook group full of moms who are listeners of the show and who are supporting each other through various parenting challenges. And like I said at the top of the show, a lot of my questions for Aaron really were inspired by things I was seeing discussed in the group. So if you're on Facebook but have not joined our group, we'd love to have you there. I will link that group up in the show notes for this episode, which as always are at themomhour.com. And I'll also link my past conversation with Dr. Aaron and some other resources for you. Again, it's themomhour.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.